Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Good morning, everyone. My name is Marcel. I've been at Life in Deep Ellum with our family has been here for, for about four years. Um, and when we, when I heard about the series from Jenna, I got really excited because the connect, this is my excited face. The connection, <laughs> the connection between beauty, God, and Christian spirituality is one of my favorite themes. I've, I've preached on it. I've taught on it. Sunday school, grad classes, I could go on about that all day. I'm, I'm also really, really interested in the notion of wisdom, which is also on that list, and Christian spirituality. And I, you know, I started thinking, okay, how we could explore that here in the lied context and then Jenna went and gave me goodness instead, and it sucks because <laughs> it's not one of my favorite. Thank you, Jenna. In fact, in fact, my kids are here. They won't let me lie. When I told Carol, my wife, that I was preaching on goodness this Sunday, she, she like kind of sniggered, kind of snorted, kind of guffawed. Right? She was like, oh. uh, So let's see how this goes. Uh, Christian theology has spent quite a bit of time, quite a chunk of time, defining what and who God is. And part of that exercise means outlining what God's attributes are, right? Uh, and this is an issue that has been explored since the early days of Christianity. Uh, one question that you know, the early Christian theologians asked, for example, was what distinguishes the Christian God from all the other gods that were available on the religious market of the, the Roman Empire? Um, another question that these people started asking is what attributes are inseparable, inseparable from the Godhead? What, what, what are the, like, the trademark characteristics of this God that emanate from, from God into the created world, into creation. Uh, these attributes include, but are not limited to, I did a little survey, divine simplicity, which is the idea that God is not made of parts, but just absolutely whole. And, and God is God, period. And there's no real distinction be, between God and the parts of God. Every, every part of God is God. So God is, in that sense, each one of those attributes that you see right there, but also um, they are God. And I pulled this uh, definition from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. God is, is thus, in some sense, identical to each of God's attributes, which implies that each attribute is identical to every other. Or in the words of St. Augustine, writing in the 4th and 5th century, God is what God has, right? So God is beauty. God is goodness, God is truth, God has all these things as well, and you can't separate one from the other. That list also includes omnipotence, omnibenevolence, omnipresence, aseity, which is God's independence, he's not dependent on creation. Omni, omnis, I don't know how to say these words in English, I'm not from here. Eternity, goodness, graciousness, holiness, imminence, immutability, impassibility, impeccability, incomprehensibility, incorporeality, infinity, jealousy, love, mission, mystery, oneness, trinity. What's up with that? Providence, righteousness, sovereignty, transcendence, veracity. Okay, it's a long list. The list of the attributes of God 
is a list of the controversies of Christian theology. So we're just going to skip all that. In fact, uh, we owe a debt of gratitude to St. Augustine, again, 4th, 5th century dude, for boiling the list down to three core attributes, truth, beauty, and goodness. So that helps, right? We talked about beauty last week, and we want to focus on goodness today. And the good news is that goodness, as a core attribute of God, really isn't on the controverted side of the theological discussion. It was like, duh, of course, God is good, everybody knows that, let's go fight about something else like the divinity of Jesus or the Trinity because that's much more interesting to bicker about in theology. Um, Goodness is pretty matter of fact, right? I mean, what are we going to say? God is bad. Well, that would put us in trouble, right? So today I want to explore what it means to unpack that goodness into our lives. So the question is, what do we mean when we claim that God is good? You know, we sing that song here, you are good. You are good all the time, all the time. You dun, 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 dun. Great harmony. What does that mean? I've, I've found it, in fact, really hard to answer that question because coming up with clear, shareable definitions of any part of that question is really, really hard. How do we define God? How do we define good? How do we then define goodness? And then how can that definition kind of shape, influence our lives? So an important question that is thousands of years old, uh, we could get this answer about goodness from Plato, before Jesus, before Christianity. We could get it from Aristotle, the, the Greeks, right? We could get our answer from early 20th century moral philosophers like George Moore, who pointed out, for instance, Um, writing at the beginning of the 20th century, that there's a distinction between good and pleasant. In other words, because something feels good does not mean that it is necessarily a good thing. It might, but it might not. One definition of goodness that I think um, is useful comes from another encyclopedia of philosophy. That was my reading list for the week. And it's written by a philosopher called Christine Korsgaard. She's at Harvard. And she says, good is the most general term of of positive evaluation. Thank you. Years of training and a PhD to tell us (laughs) these very broad terms what goodness means, right? The most general term of positive evaluation used to recommend or express approval in a wide range of contexts. Thank you again. But it's, it's, a, it's a good definition of goodness, but it's also a very, I appreciate that, thank you. Yeah, caffeine, y'all. Maybe I'll tremble less or tremble more, we'll see. Um, a, 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 a useful definition, but a very broad one that doesn't necessarily express what we mean when we say that God is good. Right, we're, we're, we're connecting something to that. So defining those things, defining goodness can get confusing. So I'm just going to skip all that as well and rephrase the question instead of answering the previous one. What are the implications of claiming that God is good for those who gather around that God, or the followers of the way, right, um, as Jesus' early disciples were called? What are the implications that God is good for those who gather around that God? So... We're going to start by looking at what Scripture has to say about goodness. And um, 
the Old Testament, the, the First Testament, great, my iPad just crashed, is um, full of references to God's goodness, right? This, this thing shows up kind of across, across Scripture. And sometimes those references are explicit, like in 1 Chronicles 16, where David is praising God as the Hebrews bring the Ark of the Covenant into the tent. that They, they prepare this you know, special room for this special chest they call the Ark. And David says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever, right? That's a Bible verse that people who go to Sunday school, who went to Sunday school, remember in, in 1 Chronicles. And sometimes the references are implicit, like in Isaiah 55, Verses six to seven read, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. So the term goodness isn't mentioned. There's no explicit mention of God's goodness in this Isaiah passage. But the implication is that moving towards God is moving away from wickedness and into the presence of goodness. So it's interesting to note in the Old Testament, from the historical books to the wisdom books to the prophets, that God's goodness is frequently linked to the identity of Israel and contrasts with the wickedness of others, of a foreign nation. Right, you'll see that in the Psalms. You'll see that kind of peppered throughout. But the Christian perspective really boils down to a couple of New Testament texts. Uh, and it's there in, in this, this New Testament, the Second Testament, that these notions of God's uh, goodness really crystallize. Uh, and they are embodied in the person and ministry of Jesus. And from Jesus, this idea of God's goodness is ingrained into the epistles, into the letters you know, all the, the, the stuff that we have after the Gospels. In fact, John Bascom, he, this was a, a guy who was president of the University of Wisconsin at the turn of the 20th century. He wrote, not till the epistles of John do we find the goodness of God given as an unqualified and ruling principle. And that's a, the text that we're going to look at today to see what Bascom is talking about. We're going to read from 1 John chapter 4. Verses 7 to 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. Someone can get you a Bible. Just pull it up on your phone. 1 John 4, 7 to 21. And I, I worked with two different versions here, one from the message and one from the, the new revised uh, standard version. There's all these acronyms for you know, different ways that the Bible gets trans translated. I'm going to read from the NRSV, but I'm going to reference both. Beloved. Let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to lo love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he, uh, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. 
God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. You see, this thing keeps coming back. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. And those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. It's a long passage. So, you know, you kind of can go back to it on your phone if you'd like. I'm going to pick a couple of things from there. But you might... You know, hear that reading and say, Marcel, you got your Sundays wrong. Today's theme is goodness. It's not love. But friends, goodness is grounded in love. While Plato, Aristotle, George Moore, a bunch of other philosophers can certainly pontificate on goodness as an isolated concept, Christian scripture doesn't leave that door open for us. From the perspective of scripture, concepts like beauty or goodness or truth are connected not only to each other. They are grounded in relationship. They don't exist as abstract entries in the Stanford Dictionary of Philosophy. We understand, we experience these things just like we experience them um, others, other things, in relationship. That's what the writer of 1 John is talking about in the text we just read. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's the knowing thing that makes the love thing make sense. Now, we don't, we don't really know who wrote these epistles or the other John books in the New Testament. That's, but that's beside the point. The, the person who, knew, who wrote this knew what the heck they were talking about when it comes to God and love. So the first point I want to make today is that there is no goodness without love. There is no God's goodness without God's love. We could say that it's precisely through God's love that we can experience God's goodness. It is because God loves that God bestows goodness upon creation. So another way to say this is that everything that's good comes from God. Duh. Augustine, once again, puts it this way. The highest good than which there is no higher is God. And consequently, he is unchangeably good, hence truly eternal and truly immortal. Here's the key. All other good things are, from him, for, are only from him, not of him. For what is of him is himself. Now, Augustine can get really complicated. This is a, in a book he wrote called On the Nature of Good. But this idea that the goodness exists linked to the personhood and relationship with God. All goodness comes from love and thus from God. From Augustine's perspective, there simply is no goodness apart from God. That's what the writer of the book of John indicates when he says, everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. 
So you can't know him if you don't love. You can't know God if you don't love. Ouch. I'm going to go back to Bascom, the, 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 the president of the university person that I quoted before. The dude wrote a ton of books, about 40 books, of all sorts of stuff, psychology, aesthetics, philosophy, theology. And I, I try to avoid quoting famous dead white guys in my sermons, if I can help it, unless it's C.S. Lewis, Lewis, Tolkien, Luther, or Augustine. Then I'm screwed. I have no defenses against them. But in this case, I, I do think... Um, that Bascom is spot on when he writes about God's goodness. He recognizes that the claims about love in the epistles of John are grounded in, in Jesus' twofold commandment, which is given in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Luke. And that is, one, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and two, to love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? That, that is the point. That, that whole jumble of connections is the point. And Bascom says, we can see and feel the necessity of goodness in the divine character only when we have so far, it's a very 1901 writing, when we have so far fathomed the ethical laws of the world as thoroughly to understand that the commandments of love are the first and the second commandments. We've just talked about them. And that obedience to them truly inheres in the nature of God and God's people. God's people inherit that, that dynamic. And he says, this is a long lesson, and we acquire it very slowly. Again, with the ouch. Ah. We acquire it very slowly. There's another way of saying that, right? We just, we don't grasp these dynamics of goodness and love easily in our own lives, in our own relationships. It's hard stuff. It's hard to figure out. And because Jesus knew that realizing and practicing these things is difficult, when he gives the, the, the great commandment, love God and love each other, in Matthew 22, he pushes the issue. The very next verse in Matthew 22 says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, understanding the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament, which is the God of the New Testament, and the New Testament, all of that hangs on one thing, one key, love. Because love is at the center of the commandments. There is no goodness without love. There is no God of goodness without God of love. And we can't understand the God of goodness as revealed in Scripture if we do not practice love. And we can't, and can't practice love if we don't open up ourselves to others. There's just no way. As I said before, these two commandments into, we, into which Jesus kind of distills the essence of, of, of Christianity are absolutely relationship. They're all about relationship with God and one another, and they are the beating heart of the Christian community. And that leads me to, the, to my second point, um, which is also grounded in this kind of like relational dynamic of scripture and the words of Jesus. I'm gonna cite um, Ruth Padilla de Bors, she's a Latin American theologian. Um, and she says, Para quienes afirmamos la bondad del Creador y seguimos en el camino del Señor, Jesucristo, por el poder del Espíritu Santo, Nuestra vocación es clara, vivir de tal manera que sirvamos como ejemplo a quienes nos rodean. Now, in the new revised, improvised translation, NRIT, that I just made up, that translates, 
to something like these, something like this. For those of us who affirm the goodness of the Creator and follow the way of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, our calling is clear to live in a way that we are an example to those around us. She goes on, not because we have higher moral standards or because we are better people or because of any development strategy, no, only because we find our identity irrevocably linked to our relationship with God who is forever and ever. We walk with hope because we belong to this way. We are tied to this way. We are tied to this God, the way of love. But, and this is my second point, also the way of justice. That's the, the second side of the coin that Jesus flips in the great commandment. Boom. What does it mean to love one's neighbor? In his ministry, Jesus made very, very, very abundantly clear that he was not talking about a wishy-washy feeling, a warm, fuzzy infatuation, you know, pumpkin-spiced idea of love the people around us. No, he said, Jesus said things like, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Matthew 25, 35. And he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matthew 5, 6. For Jesus, goodness and love are tied with justice. Goodness and love are tied with justice. Bascom puts this another way in his book, The Goodness of God, the one that I'm kind of Ripping off here. And he says, love implies a supreme regard for the well-being of those who are its object. The strength of all is found in the welfare of each. If this love is not possible, then there is no possible harmony in the spiritual world. And whatever peace is secured must be reached by crushing inferior claims under superior ones and weaker persons under stronger persons. That crushing of weak by strong has a name and that name is injustice. Injustice comes precisely from the absence of love and the consequent absence of goodness. All those things are connected. Back to 1 John, verses 20 and 21. If anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can, how can he love the God he can't see? The commandment we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. That's the message translation. Again, with the relationship thing, right? It's, it is in relationship that the disconnection between what we say and what we do, how we act, shows up. You've got to love both. God and people, you've got to love both. So, Going back to the initial question, what are the implications of claiming that God is good for those who gather around that God? You've got to love both. We've seen that goodness comes from God, is grounded in God's love, is intimately connected to justice, and expresses itself in relationship, relationship between us and God and us and each other. So, so what do we do with that? Right? How do we kind of, how do we practice, how do we rehearse Jesus' great commandment? How can we say, today I tried to be good and keep a straight face and mean it? How do, what do we do with what Ruth Padija calls us to do, to live in a way that we are an example to those around us? Well, uh, 
just for starters, it's important to note that a conversation about God's attributes is as much a conversation about us as it is a conversation about God. We make lists. God doesn't make lists. Whenever we talk about God, write about God, worship God together, one of the things we are doing is trying to make sense of an infinite God from the perspective of our finite experience. So the list of attributes, as we saw, is long. And, and theology is like a slippery fish, you know, because we're talking about a thing that, in one sense, cannot be talked about, but we keep trying. Uh, Gustavo Gutierrez, Peru, Peruvian theologian, says, La teología es un lenguaje sobre Dios. Ahora bien, en la Biblia, Dios no es presentado como un misterio. Nos es presentado como un misterio. He says, theology is language about God. Now, in the Bible, God is presented to us as a mystery. At the beginning of his Summa Theologica, it's a big book that Thomas of Aquinas wrote, he sets a, a fundamental principle for all that theological reflection. Aquinas says, we cannot know who, what God is, only what God is not. Gutierrez goes on and says, in this case, shouldn't we think of theology as an impossible task? No. It isn't impossible. It is important to understand from the beginning that it is an effort to think the mystery. So that puts us in a pickle. When I say, okay, what do we do with this goodness thing? How do we practice it? And then I say, theology is a mystery. And then you're saying, well, Marcel, it's not very helpful. Can you not preach again next week? Um, we need a tip. We, you know, just whatever, man. Uh, that process of trying to make sense of God, to think the mystery is what we call theology. It's also what we call what we're doing right now, church. Thinking about God and talking to each other about our experiences with God, that's what we're doing here today, focusing on the goodness bit. Last week, so I hope this is helpful, Jenna wove together an understanding of what it means to follow Christ that I thought was really insightful because it doesn't try to dispel that mystery. Instead, the invitation she made was for us to step into it. She was talking about beauty. She suggested listening and contemplation as ways of receiving and perceiving the beauty that God has already put into the world, basking in God's beauty. So I just want to rip off her invitation and say to live into the goodness of God is to live into a goodness that is already there. To live into the goodness of God is to live into a goodness that is already there. That's something I can do you know, and God, I told him that when I told, when I, when I told you I was going to preach about goodness, you were like, <laughs> uh, well, I could still do that, right? If I think that it is not my goodness, it is God's goodness that is already there, and that what I'm invited to do is step into it, I'm like, okay, yes, that is something I can do. I can step into that mystery, to live into the goodness of God is to, give, to live into a, beauty, a goodness that is already there. If basking in the beauty of God's creation is a way of being in God's presence, it's a way of being in relationship with God, the responsibility of Christian ambassadorship, right, of our example that Ruth Padilla talks about, extends to the practice of goodness through relationship. And that's what 1 John describes. The reason why the writer of 1 John goes on and on about the same thing so God and your neighbor, and there's God and you, and you and me, and then there's God and the love. And then it's the same thing. It's just a bunch of verses of the same thing. Okay? It's because the writer of 1 John understood 
this invitation. So, more than simply projecting our expectations of what we think is good, convenient, desirable, you name it, unto those around us and the world around us, responding to that invitation involves listening to God's goodness and living into that goodness, weaving that goodness into our relationship with others, which is done through love. It's a posture that requires us to move away from our convenience and expectations as rubrics for goodness, because it's not our goodness, it's God's goodness. It's not about praying for something we want and then being disappointed when God doesn't give it to us. It's about understanding how God wants us to live. And those are two very different things. And we have enough from Scripture, and particularly in the book of Micah, Micah 6, 8, another heavy hitter in terms of Bible verses in the translation of St. Eugene Peterson that points us in that direction. Micah 6, 8. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. That's, you don't get that in the King James translation. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. Now, the great commandment is love God and love your neighbors. Again with the same thing. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Take that invitation seriously. That, friends, is a goodness we can share and live into. Justice, compassion, love. Definitely some humor. And the perception that we live in God's world. Right? As the writer of 1 John puts it, back to the Bible text, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God, and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house becoming at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's because we are in relationship. So my prayer for us as a community is that we accept that invitation and let God's goodness mature in us and spill over into Deep Ellum, into our family life, into our work life, in ways that demonstrate that being followers of the way means we are deeply committed to beauty, truth, and justice, and to a goodness that is infinite, because the God of goodness is infinite. Amen. Mm -hmm.